Was that like the most stressful thing you've seen all year so far? Was that like just totally your life and my life? Hey, thanks for being here. We're starting a brand new series today called Breathing Room, and I wanna welcome all of our Atlanta area churches, our strategic partner churches, those of you who are watching online and those of you who are watching by television. Uh, This is a four-part series, and we're gonna talk about something that is appropriate and applicable to all of us, the whole idea of (sighs) finding room to breathe. Uh, When I was growing up, our our family had an 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 unintentional tradition. I say unintentional, it happened by accident. All families have these. Our unintentional tradition was between Christmas and New Year, my dad would go down in our unfinished part, the unfinished part of our basement, which was most of our basement, and he would clean out. And he would do a lot of it at night when my mom was asleep. Um, And he would take plastic bags, and my dad's a minimalist, so he liked lots of space, and he would organize our basement, and he would put things where they're supposed to be, and things would be lined up the way they're supposed to be. He would label things. This is back before there were label makers. He'd make his own labels. Things would be in the corner. Everything would be so, and he would spend days down there cleaning out, throwing away, and he was smart. He would put things in bags you couldn't see through so he could haul them out to the trash, and nobody knew what he was throwing away. And his kids, we didn't care, you know? And he he would try not to let my mom know or let her come down into the basement. And so he would spend hours and hours, a couple days getting it all organized. And then he would have the reveal before there was such thing as a reveal. And he would bring my sister and I, my mom down, and he would navigate and tour us through the basement. Now, some of you are already liking my dad more because you're like so into this. And so he would say, here's where this goes. And here's where all the unused paint cans go. And here's where all the tools go. And here's where all the lawn equipment go. And here's where all this stuff, and when we, you know, as we're taking down for Christmas, here's where all that's gonna go. And it would just be beautiful. It would, for some of us, it was like godly. It was like spiritual because everything was organized. It was all so neat, you know, and it was great. And my mom, everybody would love it, you know. And then as the tradition went, after he got it all perfect the way it was supposed to go, everything's lined up and all the junk's gone, all the clutter is gone because he hates clutter and all the clutter's gone. Then on January the 1st, my mom would begin undoing all of that for the rest of the year. And so for the rest of the year, all the organization went away and the clutter you know, came back and because and, she doesn't like to throw anything away because God made her that way. I, you know, I don't know why, but God made us all different. And, um, and then of course, as kids, we could care less. We just walked the basement and just left stuff you know, wherever we wanted to. And so for the rest of the year, we would bring all the junk back in, clutter it up, put garbage. I don't know what to do with this. We'll just stick it in the basement. I don't know what to do with this. Just stick it in the basement. And by the time Christmas rolled around, it was all undone and the family tradition would begin all over again. Now, in my mom's defense, um, now for some of you who are like, she needs no defense. That's the way God made me too. But in my mom's defense, she's an artist, okay? So she is so comfortable with clutter and she's just so comfortable with stuff. In fact, she thrives in stuff and now they live in two separate homes and you, he, it doesn't look like anyone lives in his home, okay? And you can hardly move through her home. And it's not that she, she just doesn't like to give things away. In fact, her basement, now that she has total control of the basement and no one's allowed to go down there, I tell her, I say, I would like to have a basement steal. And she says, you mean sale? I said, no, steal. I wanna open your basement door and put signs all over the neighborhood that say, just come steal stuff, okay? The door is open. I said, because mom, if you die before you clean out that basement, I may not even come to your funeral. She wants me to sing at her funeral. I said, I may not even come if, that, if you leave that basement for me because you can barely walk through it. And she is completely comfortable and she's so generous. In fact, people will come over and she'll say, if you want, go down in the basement and find something you like and have it. Just she's, she's as generous as she could possibly be, but she is so comfortable with just 
everything just cluttered, 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 and my dad, again, is the, is the extreme opposite. Now, I won't ask you to raise your hand. I thought about it. I may do it later about where you fall, you know, because if you're like the I'm comfortable with clutter person, you're almost embarrassed because I've sort of made it sound so negative. And for the others of you who are like minimalists and you'd like everything organized and straight, no clutter, um, you feel like that, that's probably godly because you, you, I know what you think. You think, do you know how much space God put between the planets? I mean, obviously God is into order and he's into space and he's, he's into breathing room, right? But, but, but here's, the deal, here's the deal, you know, for your, for your basement or for your, the trunk of your car or, or for your attic or for your closet to look something like this. I know this is gonna ruin the entire day for some of you just looking at this during the message, okay? For, for, and for some of you, it's like, what? Okay, so for... <laughs> It's, it's one thing, it's one thing for your closet. It's one thing for the trunk of your car. It's one thing for your attic or basement. It's one thing for, for places where you put things to look like this. That, that's okay, God made us all different. We're, we're, we're all fine. You know, for me, before I can do any work, I clean up the room I'm working in. I mean, that's just the way I am. Other people, you can just work in a mess and you don't see the mess. And if you don't know which kind of person you are, um, just go look in the back seat of your car, okay? And if you have to move stuff around for people to get in the back seat of your car, this does not bother you, okay? If you look in the back seat of your car and there's nothing, okay? But the point is, it is, it's okay for your closet to look like this. It's okay for your trunk, for your attic, for your basement to look like this. But here's what we're gonna talk about for the next few weeks. It's not okay for your life to look like this. It's not okay for your schedule to look like this. It's not okay for your finances to look like this, where there's absolutely no room for error. You have squeezed everything in and there are no discretionary dollars and there's no room for error financially. It's not, it's, it's not okay for your relationships to look like this, to where everybody is so busy and you've crammed so much into your schedule that you get to the point where you don't really even enjoy any of the stuff you do. And your kids don't even enjoy all the stuff they do. And you've got everybody running a hundred different directions and I know how you feel. We're gonna spend four weeks on this, so don't discount me yet. You feel like you don't have any choice. You feel like this is just the way life is. You tell yourself, well, this is a season of life and it's gonna go away. You look around and everybody else's life looks kind of like this and your life looks kind of like this. So you think, well, this is just the way it is. But at the end of the day, for your schedule, for your time, for your relationships, and for the way that you manage your money to be reflected in something where there's just no room to stick anything else in. It becomes problematic. And as we're gonna see, believe it or not, and if you're a Christian, you have to follow me, and if you're not a Christian, you, you can choose whether or not you wanna follow me through this series. But as we're gonna discover, believe it or not, God actually has something to say about this. Because this is kind of funny, and yeah, I know where everything is, and that's what people who love this kind of stuff, you would say, well, I know where everything is. That's what my mom says. I know where everything is in that basement. I'm like, yeah, but I may not come back. You know, I may be lost, I do it breadcrumbs. But I know where everything is, I, I understand that. But it's not, and, and it's kind of funny, but it's no fun to watch somebody you know or somebody you love or maybe your situation personally, it's no fun to watch somebody who's so stressed out over their schedule that their relationships begin to deteriorate because they're just doing too much. It's no fun to watch a mom and her dad you know, shuffle their kids around to everything they feel like their kids need to be involved in. And after a while, they don't really feel like they know their kids. They're, they're just carting them around. It's no fun to watch a couple who's so maxed out every single dollar, every single dollar is accounted for, there are no margins, and then there's a financial bump, and the relationship takes a hit. It's just, it's, it's not funny at that point. 
and the clutter and the claustrophobic sense of how we do our schedules and how we manage our budgets becomes problematic. So we're gonna talk about that. Because at the end of the day, life is better. <sighs> with breathing room, with space to breathe. Br breathing room is you don't have to drive 80 miles an hour everywhere you go because you get places early. Breathing room is that you actually have time to talk to the people in your family. Breathing room is you, you have dinner around the table. Breathing room is there's actually money at the end of the month. Breathing room is you, you actually enjoy all the things that you're doing because you're not doing all the things you could do and you're not doing all the things that everybody else is doing. Breathing room is being able to show up in small group and concentrate on what they're talking about because you're not so distracted by all the things you haven't gotten done and all the things that are waiting to be done. Breathing room is being able to come to church or to watch online and to actually be able to focus. Breathing room is being able to pray and actually focus on what you're praying about because your mind isn't so distracted by all the things that you've jammed into your schedule and all the things that are waiting to be done. And life is better, I don't have to convince you of that part, Life is better with breathing room. So we're gonna talk about that. Now, for the sake of for definition and clarity, here's what, here's what we're gonna say breathing room is for the next few weeks. It's simply this. Breathing room is the space between our current pace and our limits. Breathing room is the space, the distance between our current pace financially or with our schedule or relationally, and those are the three areas we're gonna camp out on. Breathing room is the space between our current pace, how hard we're charging, how much money we're spending, how well we're relating, and our limits. And here's the thing that you know, because some of you are gonna push back on the series, and I, I understand that. You're gonna argue with me in your mind. I understand that. Here's the deal. All of us have limits. There is a point at which you redline your life financially or relationally or your schedule and you just can't add any more in. At some point, you just can't cram any more in. Everybody has limits. You may have extraordinary capacity. You may have three times the capacity that I have or the people in your family, but everybody has limits. And if you live your life at the limit, at some point, you quit enjoying life. In your attempt to get the most out of life, you lose control of your life. In your attempt to make as much progress as possible, you trade progress in for, you trade your peace in for progress. You trade peace in for prosperity. And there's an adrenaline rush, and some of you are adrenaline junkies, and I, and I understand that. But at some point along the way, for you to enjoy the life that God has given you to lead, and as we're gonna discover, in order to lead a life of faith, in order to lead a life of trust. If you're a Christian, if you're a Jesus follower, you don't have any choice because Jesus has addressed these things directly. But to be a God follower or a Jesus follower, there has to be a sustainable pace financially, relationally, and in terms of schedule. And it becomes an issue of faith. And it's that distance between your limit and your current pace. Now, you know this. The next part of what I wanna talk about, you know all this, but just to get us all on the same page, you know this. When there's no breathing room, several things happen, the stress levels go up, right? I mean, you, you know that awful feeling of sitting in your car 
and you're late for work or you're late for a meeting or you're late for an appointment or you're late for something really, really important. And I used to say, you know, we watched the big hand move toward the 12, but nobody has big hands anymore. And why do they even call them hands? I don't know. But anyway, as you watch the clock and the seconds and the minutes tick away, and you, you, you know that feeling of your stress builds as the time runs out. You know, you're later and later and the traffic won't move. There's been an accident or you just got a late start or one of your kids, you needed something or your husband or wife just had to talk to you about this or, you know, whatever happened. And you know the stress of watching the time run out and the stress levels just build. And that's true in every area of life. When there's no breathing room, relationally, when there's no breathing room financially, here comes another bill. Here comes, you know, end of year stuff that you weren't expecting. There's just, there's just stress when there's no breathing room. The other thing that happens, you know, this is that our focus narrows. In some ways we become myoptic. That when there's no breathing room, your tendency, and you can't help this, this just happens. You get so focused on the area where there's no margin. You get so focused on the area where there's no breathing room that in focusing on that one thing or those two things, you lose awareness of the other things around you. An example is this, you know what? As long as I'm four or five feet back from the edge of this platform, I don't think about it. But as I am gonna make the front rows really nervous, okay, at all of our churches. As I get closer and closer and closer, suddenly I'm distracted. And I can't concentrate on everything I need to concentrate because suddenly my focus goes to how close am I to the edge and I need, I'll see my, even my eyes go down. And when there's no margin, when there's no breathing room, our focus narrows and it narrows oftentimes in an unhealthy way. Now granted, we're gonna talk about this. There are stages of life and there are seasons of life and there are moments you know, during the week when we have to be super extraordinarily focused. But if you live your entire life that way, you become so focused on the areas that in some ways you've neglected that you accidentally and unintentionally but necessarily begin to neglect the things that you would say later and that you would even admit today are important. And so consequently, the other thing that happens is that our relationships suffer. Mom, you're always on the phone. Dad, you're always on the computer. All you guys ever talk about is money. All you guys ever argue about is money. I feel like we're doing a lot of things, but I'm not enjoying the things we're doing. I don't get along. I don't like to come home. I don't like to talk to you about that. Every time money comes up, I just you know, lock up. Every time you pull out the calendar, I just lock up. And ultimately, relationships suffer. And again, this isn't new information. <laughs> this isn't a religious thing. This isn't a Christian thing. This is just a thing thing, isn't it? That when there's no breathing room, when life looks a little bit too much like this and a little le too less like th that, then ultimately there's more stress our focus narrows, we begin to tune out things that are important, but we just don't have the bandwidth, the emotional bandwidth for them. And ultimately, the thing that really brings joy to life, our relationships suffer. And I don't know if you thought about that before, but did you know your happiness, your happiness in life can be measured by the health of your relationships, not your prosperity and not your progress. Now, that brings us to the the question and you have your own answer to this and you don't have to like my answer, but why do we do this? I mean, nobody would say, I want more stress, you know? I wanna be so focused that I ignore. I want unhealthy relationships. I want my kids to cringe when the garage door comes open, you know? I want my husband to sweat when he knows I'm walking in the door. You know, I want my kids to run for cover. That's the way I like it, you know? Nobody wants that, right? It's not what you said I do for. That's not why you raised your children. That's not why you're looking to have a long-term relationship with somebody. Nobody likes this. Nobody wants this. And again, our excuse is, well, I can't help it. It's the world we live in and on and on and on we go. But why do we do this? 
Why do we do this? For first, you say, well, you know, it's just the nature of the industry I'm in. It's just the nature of the business I'm in. Well, that's part of it. Well, it's the season I'm in. That's part of it. Some of you would be so transparent as to say, well, honestly, part of the reason my schedule and my finances and my relationships are so cluttered that I don't enjoy much of it is, Andy, I'll, I'll admit it, I'm, I just lack discipline. I think discipline's part of it. But I think there's a more fundamental thing that drives this for many of us. And I think if we're willing, Christian or not, religious or not, I think if we're willing to focus on this fundamental driver, this current that, you know, at first we're gonna push back against, I think we'll make some progress. Because understanding the underlying thing that drives a lot of our behavior and spending and lack of relationships and our attempt to be efficient with relationships, Stephen Covey taught us years and years and years ago, you cannot be efficient in a relationship. We try to be, but you can't. I think if we were ever willing to embrace the real driver behind a lot of this, we'd make progress. And until we do, we won't. So here's what I'd like to suggest. That a big part of what drives our schedule, drives our, even our spending and the pace and our attempt to make relationships efficient is fear. It's fear. We fear something. In fact, let me turn it around and I could say this. I could say, why don't you stop? Why don't you gear down? Why don't you? And you might even start the sentence this way. Well, Andy, if I do that, I'm afraid that. Well, Andy, if I, if I backed off, I'm afraid that. I'm afraid if I, if I told them that I can't come, I'm afraid that. If I took my kids out of those events, I'm afraid that. If I told my daughter you can do gymnastics, but not gymnastics, swimming, softball, and dance, I'm afraid that. I'm afraid that. I'm afraid that. I'm afraid. And I think without knowing it, we allow fear and none of us wanna be fearful and none of us wanna be afraid. And this is hard to admit, that it's fear that drives so much of the activity and the spending and the relationship-less lives that we lead. You know what we fear? I think some of us fear missing out. We fear that our kids will miss out. If we don't have them in everything and have them doing everything, they're gonna miss out. They, we fear that you know, somehow we're gonna miss out. You're single and you're, you're, you, know, you have more time than you'll ever have. You have more flexibility than you're ever gonna have for the rest of your life. And you drive yourself crazy with all the activities. And there's this, if you're honest, there's a fear of, if I don't go, if I don't say yes, if I don't sign up, if I don't, if I don't, if I don't, I'm gonna miss out. I think the other thing is we fear falling behind. This goes back to what we talked about some time ago with the comparison trap. You know, we look around at what everybody else is doing. We look around at what everybody else is accomplishing and we compare ourselves to what they live, how they live, how they drive, what they wear, where they vacation, how they spend their time. And there's, there's this thing of, I, I'm, I'm afraid I'm gonna, I'm gonna fall behind. Well, fall behind who? Fall behind what? And maybe you're not afraid of falling behind, but you're married to someone who's afraid of falling behind. And so they're pushing you, pushing you, pushing you. And then I think maybe this is more of a man thing than a woman thing, I'm just, just guessing. But I think there's a fear of not mattering. I mean, I know there's something to me that I want my life to count for something. I mean, when, I, when I'm gone, I want somebody to miss me. You know, I wanna accomplish something. And I think many of us in our churches, especially because of who we attract in our churches all over the country and our television audience as well, I think we're progress-oriented people. We're leaders. We wanna see change, we wanna see progress. I, I wanna be able to check things off boxes. I wanna accomplish goals, right? I wanna set objectives. I wanna look back over the year and say, I got something done other than just you know, taking up space and kissing my kids at night. I, I wanna do something. And so there's a, I think there's an, a fear in me and there's a fear in many of us. There's an insecurity, I think we're born with it. 
where we're afraid, what if we don't matter? And so we equate busyness and we equate doing things and we equate spending and buying and purchasing and you know, all those kinds of things. Somehow that gets all mixed up with how much do I matter? And so one of the things that we're gonna talk about in this series, especially in section four is this, that our fear, because this is a big deal, that our fear of not mattering much has the potential to draw us away from what matters the most. That our fear, and it's a fear, of not mattering much, well, what did I accomplish and who was I? Did anybody know my name? Did I make my mark? Our fear of not mattering much has the potential to draw us away, to pull us away from the things that matter most. And you know, life is strange in this way. You don't get really any redos. You know, if you flunk out your, first, your freshman year, you can have another freshman year. You can even have a second marriage, you know? You can try again with kids. But once your 20s are gone, they're gone. And your 30s, they're gone. You don't get to redo your 40s. You don't get to redo your 50s. You just get one shot. You get one cycle at life. And if you get this wrong, you get to the end. And you know what you have? You just have regret. And some of you have seen that with your parents. Some of you have seen that with your grandparents. Some of us are at that stage of life where we're already beginning to evaluate and wonder, should I have done this differently? Should I have spent more time? Should I have worried less? Should I have fretted less? Should I have reevaluated? Should I have reprioritized? And you can't go back. And so here's the opportunity that we have together as a group of churches and a group of people who love God, a group of people who are trying to figure the whole God thing out. What if we begin to think differently? What if we were willing to address our fears? And what if we were willing to really take a really difficult, because it's difficult, an honest look at what drives my schedule and what drives my spending and what drives my relationships? Why is it that relationships, I say they're important, but I don't enjoy them because there's no, there's just, there's just not enough space. Now, here's a really interesting thing, especially if you're Jewish or if you're or Christian, and if you're not either, and you're kind of looking in from the outside, this is, this, is a great, this is a great message to be here for. When you open the pages of scripture, this will take you by surprise. When you open the pages of the Bible, God speaks to this issue. And he, he speaks to this issue in a very unusual way. You're not gonna find the phrase breathing room. If you go to your concordance, breathing room, it's not even in the Bible. Why are we talking about this? You don't find it that way. What you find in, in, instead is this ongoing conversation that God has with his people in the Old Testament in very, very practical ways, as we'll see, and then in the New Testament through Jesus in not seemingly as practical a way, but certainly thematic, this contrast between fear and faith. Fear and faith. What we're gonna discover is that if your life, not your closet, your trunk, your attic, your basement, I'm fine with clutter in all those areas, but if your life looks like this, there's no room for the people you love. There's no room for the things that are most important. And there's no room for failure. There's no margin for failure financially. That this is actually, as we're gonna discover, a faith issue. This is an issue really of how much do I really trust that God knows my name and cares for me as an individual? <clears throat> this is interesting. Back a long, 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 long time ago, when the nation of Israel was delivered from Egypt, um, they were a slave state. Now, this is impossible for us to completely understand, but they were slaves. They, everybody who left Egypt with, and followed Moses into the promised land to begin this brand new society, really, all they knew was slavery. 
They had been slaves for 400 years, so everybody who had not been a slave had died many, many years before. So this is a group of people who understand you work 24-7, and you do whatever you're told, and if you don't, you die. And if you get sick, you're discarded because people don't waste good medicine on dying slaves. So their mindset was of such nature, we cannot even begin to get our arms around it. And so God leads them out of this of slavery, takes them into this land, establishes them, and now he has to give them rules to live by because the only rules they know are slave rules. And you know, you're you know, familiar with the 10 commandments and as many of you know, the, the Old Testament has many more commandments than 10. There are 600 and something laws that God gave them. And the reason there are so many is because he was establishing, imagine this, a brand new country, a brand new way of thinking, a brand new way of living, brand new values. He had to renew their mind to everything. And in these laws that God gave them, God, this is so cool, God built in breathing room into this society, breathing room into the pace that his people were to live. And one of the big ones, the one that you're most familiar with, actually made the top 10, it's known as the Sabbath. Now this is Again, we're so familiar with this, we think Sabbath, nothing. I get Saturday and Sunday. I don't just get Saturday, I get a two-day weekend and I'm an American and by golly, I deserve, I was born in the USA two days or European. You know, We just assume two days. Here's what's impossible for us to understand. The idea of taking an entire day and doing no work was completely foreign. In fact, it was dangerous. This was pre-refrigeration, okay? If you didn't work, you may not eat. And God says to this brand new nation who understands 24 seven work, you wake up working, you go to bed working, you just work, 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 because that was the culture they lived in, grew up in. Imagine this, God says to them, one of my top 10 rules for you, one of my top 10 rules for you, thou shalt take a dayeth offeth. I mean, who, how can you not love a God that one of the first things that comes, to his, you know, comes out of his mouth is, Take a day off, that's amazing. Now, to us, we're so accustomed to this. Of course you take a day off. I gotta tell you, this had to be staggering. This was like, no one can take a day off. How can I take, we'll starve. We won't have enough food to eat. There's so much to get done. I mean, if you think you have a lot to do, okay, most of you don't have to milk the cows and get the the eggs from the hen. You know, you didn't have to build your own roof. And I mean, the world they live in, we can't even imagine. And God says, you will take a day off. One out of seven days, you won't do any work. And by the time Jesus rolls around, the Pharisees have taken taken this to the extreme, you know, very unhealthy extremes. But in the ancient times of Israel, this idea was simply this. When the sun goes down on Friday night, all work ceases. Whatever you didn't get done, you don't do. It'll wait. And when the sun comes up, you know, 24 hours later, you know, you can begin to work again. But no work, none. It is a, imagine this, it is against the law to work. Everyone in my culture, in this nation will go, do you know why God did that? Because God understands the way that we're wired and God understands the way he created us. And this was his will, but it was even more than that. Because by instituting the Sabbath, God began to teach his people at the most elemental, elementary level that they had to trust him. But God, what if it doesn't get done? Trust me. But what if we didn't finish? Trust me. But what if we hadn't brought all the crops in? Trust me. But what if, but what if, but what if? And God was saying, trust me. 
Trust me. But God, trust me. The Sabbath was an expression of faith. When Jesus came around, he said something interesting about the Sabbath. He said the Sabbath, he said people weren't created for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was created for people. The Sabbath was created for mankind, that God gave this as a gift. Now, many, many years ago when I was in graduate school, a Hebrew scholar came to where I went to school and did this whole long lecture on the Sabbath and I didn't understand about half of it, but the second half I understood and he challenged those of us who were in, in graduate school to take a Sabbath, to take an entire day and for us, work was school. And uh, we were all working jobs or two jobs and trying to you know, pay bills and, and, and go to school at the same time in a time when we were probably should have been out working anyway because we'd already, already finished college. This was like a four year master's degree program. So we were in there forever. And he said, I wanna challenge you. And I remember sitting there thinking, I'm gonna do this. And since that time, except for a few seasons of life where I did not trust God that it would all get done. This has been a habit and a practice for me and God instituted it for you and for me. And this is what he says. Trust me, trust me, trust me. The other thing he did was he instituted the tithe. Now, this is not a giving lesson, so take a deep breath. This is about giving. Here's what the tithe did. They didn't have banks. So here's what would happen. In the Hebrew home in these ancient times, they would actually store the money that they were going to give for the sake of, of creating a religious system. They would store the money in their homes in a jar or a box. So every single Hebrew family knew we can't live on everything that comes in because we're going to give 10% or 20% to society to help with the poor and to help with the religious institutions. So they visibly saw money come in stored in a box or a jar that they could not or would not or should not spend. And it built into the ancient Hebrew culture a sense of financial margin. Just because it comes in doesn't mean it goes out. And then the third thing, there, there were many of these, the third thing and the one you probably know least about is what I'll call the law of gleaning. Now, this was really interesting. Now, again, this is a brand new culture. God is setting up a society just the way he wants it. And, and here's, here's what he says. I wanna read you two passages from the Old Testament and I, I wanna explain these because this is, this is fascinating. Now, imagine, okay, you're hand, a hand-to-mouth culture all right, you can't store anything for very long. There's no refrigeration. Everybody's pretty, by our standards, like way, 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 way poor. Everybody needs everybody, everything they can possibly get. And you're a farmer and the way you make your money is by selling crops. And these aren't giant fields. These are small fields because they were all managed by just a few people. And here's what God instituted as a law to the ancient Jewish people. Here's what he said. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. And the gleanings was the, the fruit or whatever they were harvesting that fell on the ground that was good to eat and could be used. He said, if it falls on the ground, you just leave it there. And you do not, you do not glean all the way to the edges. You leave the edges there. Then he says this, Dan, do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. He says, okay, once you go through and you pick the grapes, if you miss some, you cannot go back and get the ones you missed. But, but what if, what if, what if? And you can't get everything all the way to the edges of your field. You have to leave the edges of your field, but, but, but huh, that's money, okay? That's leaving it on the table, you know? That's, that's mine, you know? What if, what if, what if? He says, no, you can't go through it twice and you don't take it to the edges, you leave it. You leave it for people who are in need. But, 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 and then listen to how he finishes this law. I am the Lord, your God. 
thank you. Did we change the subject? Was there like, a, this is a new paragraph? I mean, what? He's going, no, 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 I, I want you to trust me. I want you to trust me. Here's the, here's the principle. I don't want you to take everything to the limit. I want there to be space. And in the space, I want you to, God will take care of us. Listen to the way he said it in Deuteronomy. This is interesting. He says, when you're harvesting in your fields and you overlook a sheaf, do not, do not go back and get it. Uh-oh, you missed one, go get it. That's what we would do, right? Oh, you missed one, you missed one, go get it. Make sure you get all of them. Leave it for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. And then listen to what he says. So that, check this out. So that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. Okay, <laughs> okay wait, what? Wait, wait. Okay, if, we're, if it's about the work of our hands, then we need to go all the way to the corners and we need to go over those fields three times to get everything that belongs to us and to be good stewards. He says, no, that's not how it works. I want you to leave some on the table. I want you to leave some extra. I want you to walk away and not take it all the way to the limit of what you could get because I want you to learn to trust me. But God, what if we don't have enough? And what if there's a famine? And what if, what if, what if, what if? And it was God's way of saying to the nation, look, I'm gonna provide for you, but I want you to trust me. So basically they'd say this, so, so if I don't do, if we don't do all we can do, you're going to multiply the work we did do? Is that how this works? If, if, we, don't, if we don't do all we can do, you're gonna multiply or somehow fill in the gap of all the work that we did do? God Amen. says, that's exactly right. I want there to be space. And in the space, you have to, Trust me, trust me. Then, to make matters worse, Jesus rolls around, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years later. Now, he walks into a culture that understands everything I've just taught you. This was just part of their culture. And here's Jesus' um, insensitive synopsis of all that for those of us who live in the New Testament age. And when you read these verses, and these are so common, many of you have read them, you've memorized them. If you're new to church, you'll hear them a whole lot, you know, going forward. These are such popular verses or popular things that Jesus said. But when you, when you hear this, there's something in you that's like, that just doesn't work in the 21st century. That doesn't work in my family. That doesn't work with my schedule. That doesn't work in my industry. That doesn't work in the world I live in. But Jesus is drawing upon this same idea of, wait a minute, wait a minute, I want you to trust me. I'm not against working hard. I'm not against setting goals. I'm not against progress. I'm not against any of that. But when you find yourself getting to the limit, when you find yourself maxing things out in terms of schedule and relationship and money, it's because perhaps you're afraid. And when you find yourself afraid, what if, what if, what if, and I'm afraid that, I'm afraid that, I want you to step back and say, can I trust God in the gap? in the space. And so here's what Jesus says. And this is infuriating. I'll let you know up front. Okay. Here's what he said. So do not worry. <laughs> so do not worry saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans, this is such a slap in our face. For the pagans, a pagan is a person that thinks there's a God who could care less about them. Pagans did not believe in God. Pagans believed in the wrong God. Pagans believed in the pagan gods. Pagans believed in Jupiter and Zeus and those gods could care less about people. They could never get their attention. You never knew what they were gonna do. He says, for the pagans run after all these things. And then he says something that I think is the issue for you and for you and for me. 
This is the issue every time we tense up and what if we don't get our kids involved and what if we don't go to everything and what if we don't, and what if we don't, what if we don't? He says this, for the pagans run after these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. And your heavenly father knows that you need them. Your heavenly father knows you want your kids to, you know, max out their potential and be the best they can be. Your, your heavenly father knows your kids need to go to school, college. Your heavenly father knows you need to eat and live indoors. Your heavenly father knows the pressures you have at work and the pressures you have in society. Your heavenly father knows that you're single and you wanna get married and you're thinking if you don't drive this and do this and look this way, nobody's ever gonna ask you out and everybody knows it's gonna go out with you. Your, your heavenly father knows. What, what if you really believed that your heavenly father knows that. What happened to all of this? What would happen to, come on, come on. What would happen to your fear? What would happen to your, I gotta measure up and I gotta make a difference and what if, and I'm gonna fall behind. What would happen to all that if you woke up every single morning and you said, God, you know, I know what my limits are and I gotta breathe, you know, I, I, and there's a lot that won't get done. I, I'm not gonna get all the way to the edges of my field. There's gonna be some grapes on the ground. There's gonna be some wheat that just gets left out there. And I'm just gonna trust you with that because I know that you know what I need. Can you imagine living a life of that kind of faith? Did you know that is exactly what your heavenly father is inviting you into? And when you learn and when you find that pace, there will be, breathing room. And in your effort to get the most out of life, you will not lose control of your life and you will not trade your peace for progress or prosperity. And then he ended it this way. One of the most famous verses in all the New Testament, but seek first something else, but seek first something else, but seek first something else, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things that you're <gasps> will be given to you. As well. Now, here's what I know about you. We're going to wrap up. Okay, ready? Here we go. Here's the conclusion. <clears throat> Something or someone is going to de determine the limits that you live by. Okay? You have limits. You have time limits and you have money limits and you, have, you already have limits. And you will either allow culture and or fear to drive you to the limit of your limits or you will learn to trust that your heavenly father loves you and you will learn to walk in accordance to his pace for you and your life financially, relationally, and in terms of just your schedule. I mean, you, you're, there's a limit. At some point, you can't do anymore. You can't spend anymore. There's a limit. And you'll either live at the limit of your limit because you're afraid and because somebody drives you there. Somebody's, or you hear your father in the back of your mind saying you're never gonna measure up. I mean, there's all these things that just drive us, drive us, drive us. You're gonna live at the limit of your limit and you will not enjoy your life. You will not enjoy your relationships. You won't even enjoy all the stuff that you spend all your money on and you won't enjoy the things you do because you're doing too much. Or you will decide, you know what? I'm not gonna live in fear. I'm not gonna live in the world of what if the rest of my life. And I'm gonna believe that God knows what I need 
and I'm gonna take a step back from the limits. I'm gonna trust him with my children and my children's education and that they'll get into the schools they need to get into. And I'm gonna trust him with my finances and I'm gonna trust him with what people think about me. And I'm gonna trust him with what my brother-in-law thinks about me because he makes more money than me or my sister. You know, she does better than me. I'm just, I'm gonna trust God with all of that. And I'm not gonna allow my fear or the expectations of other people to drive me to an unhealthy limit. I'm going to learn to allow God to help me to create breathing room. I am not gonna trade peace for progress and peace for prosperity. Now, I know some of you argue with my mind, arguing with me in your mind, and, and I know this, and let me just say this, and, and I'm really done. Listen, listen. I know, I, I've heard it all. I, this is the world I live in. Nobody calls me to say, things are going great, just checking in, okay? We don't get those calls, okay? We don't spend our time in those conversations, right? We're in the ministry. But here's what I know. I know there are men who didn't have time to invest in their marriage because they were so busy until she decided to leave and suddenly he was spending hours and hours and hours and hours and hours trying to save his marriage. And I know that if he were here, he would tell you, you know what? I wish I had taken those hours and hours and hours and hours and hours I spent to save my marriage investing in my marriage. But it took a crisis to get my attention. And I talked to too many moms and dads because if they were busy, and you know, they love their kids and they're trying to provide for their kids and they want their kids to go to the best school and they had no relationship with their kids and then one of their kids spun out of control and they spent hours and hours and hours and hours and hours and hours and lots and lots and lots and lots of money trying to rescue somebody they genuinely loved. But the schedule looked like this. And if they could tell you their story, they'd say, you know what? I wish I had taken those hours and 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 invested it on the front end instead of having to fight it. And I didn't think I had the hours to give, but you know what? When things begin to fall apart, well, what do you know? I found the hours that I needed. Here's what people who are 60 and older would tell you. They would tell you. I would go back to being 30 and 40 and 50 and I would trade some prosperity and I would trade some progress for the sake of more peace. If I were you, they would say, I would go back to where you are. You're so fortunate because you haven't eaten up your 30s. You haven't eaten up your 40s. You haven't eaten up your 50s. Some of you haven't even eaten up your 20s. I would go back and I would create breathing room because what I traded my breathing room for just wasn't worth it. So for the next few weeks, we're gonna talk about your schedule we're gonna talk about your money and I'm not gonna ask for any of it. This has nothing to do with giving. This has everything to do with margin. And I'm gonna talk about your relationships. And your homework assignment between now and next week is simply to answer this question. Where do you need some breathing room? And I have a feeling you just did your homework assignment as soon as I put the question on the screen, right? <laughs> this isn't a, I don't know, I really need to think about it. If you really need to think about it, you ought to be up here teaching the lesson, okay? But here, here's the thing, where do you need some breathing room. And if you're in a small group or a community group and your group this week, if you're discussing these messages, I want you to answer that question out loud with your group. If you're not in a group, if you go to findbreathingroom.com, you can uh, download the questions for this, for, for today's message. You can also rewatch this message. If somebody in your group or your husband or wife wasn't here, one of your kids or your parents, you can take them to this website. You can watch this message again. But I want you to think between now and next week, about where you need breathing room. And here's what I really want you to think about. Is there a relationship? Because maybe I got it wrong. Don't take my word for it. Is there a relationship between your incessant desire and need to be right on the edge in every area of life? Is there a relationship between that and your lack of faith or trust 
in God. And what would it look like in that area where you need breathing room? If you were convinced that your heavenly father knows what you need and can provide it without you driving yourself crazy. In your effort to get the most out of life, don't lose control of your life. Let's create some breathing room. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for preserving the Old Testament for thousands of years, literally. Thank you for instituting a Sabbath with a group of people who did not have time for a Sabbath. That you told them, I want you to save your money right there where you can see it and realize you can live without spending everything that comes in. And Father, for this incredible principle of leaving the corners and leaving the edges and leaving the, the fruit, the vine on the ground for people who needed it and walking away and saying, God's gonna have to fill that gap. Father, in each of our lives, show us, teach us the relationship between our fear and our faith and give us the courage to address this at the deepest level and to, to be willing to admit we're afraid. We're afraid. And that from that fear, we would become people of greater faith and confidence in the God who loved us so much that you sent your son to be our savior. Why would we think that you would not give us what we need? And we pray all of this, Father, in your son's matchless name, Jesus the Christ, amen.